Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Two, one through four. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest, but also about the interest of others as well. Hello, Hillside, and happy Mother's Day. Ever since I found out that I was going to be speaking on Mother's Day, I have been thinking about a story between my mom and I that I could share with everybody. And this one has kind of risen to the top, I guess you could say. Uh, When I was about six or seven years old, my family was living in Houston for the summer. And my dad would go on a road trip for about a week. And while he was gone, my mom would drag me and my younger two brothers uh, to the Galleria Mall. And it wasn't so much for us as it was for her. And uh, I just remember, like, I'm pretty convinced that while we were standing in every department store that the mall had, waiting for my mom to shop, uh, I'm pretty convinced she would, she would hide dollar bills and like purses and then kind of say, hey, Mike, maybe they left these when they were making them in there. And I, she would lead me kind of over to the purse and I would open up and there'd be a couple bucks. And then I would check every single purse that, you know, that existed in that department store to see if I could find more dollars. And once that ran out, I would have to then come back over to her side and just wait. And I remember in those moments of waiting, feeling so exhausted, so impatient. And I had to also advocate for my younger brothers as well, right? And so I would just say, mom, I don't even know how long we've been waiting here, but we're thirsty. We are tired. We're hungry. We, we need something, And the moment I remember the most is my mom, this one time, she pulls out of her purse a lifesaver and she hands it to me. And she says, drink your own spit, you'll be fine. And that may be the only time that I really ever sacrificed for my mom like she sacrificed for me. I mean, it's honestly hard for me to think about one story of her sacrifice, of, of one story of her taking on, like we talked about last week, the, the mindset or the attitude of Christ. Because I just remember every day being that way, whether it was for our family whether it was for our friends, our church, our community. She was so giving in what she did. And Hillside Moms as well, just to be able to be among you guys and see that you take on that same attitude as Christ had. Uh, We love you and we're thankful for you and happy Mother's Day. Uh, Getting into a little bit of a recap of what we did last week, uh, what we were looking at, we, we looked at chapter two, verses six through 11, in this great theological, I guess you call it a poem or a hymn that Paul gives us. And maybe Paul got it from somebody else, or maybe Paul wrote it himself. We're, we're not really sure exactly where it came from, but it's unbelievable. 
And in this theological poem that that Paul puts in verses 6 through 11, uh, we get to see that he is saying this is who God is. Is. This is about his nature. He's, he's humble and self-giving. This isn't just a one-time act of Christ. This is how God exists. And in all of that, as we see uh, the incarnation, as we, as we see the crucifixion, and as we see the exaltation, we find this paradigm, this, this supreme example for how we as believers are to think and then are also to act. And this week, we're actually gonna go back to verses one through four. I wanted to give us kind of like the, how we are to think before we got into what we are to do. Uh, And so we started with that attitude and, and allow that attitude to precede the action so that we have these sustainable actions among ourselves and our community out of the attitude that Christ already had. But before we even get into verses one through four, I I just wanted to quickly remind everybody that right at the tail end of chapter one, Paul is in the midst of his own suffering and his own trials and his own confinement. The church has some type of trial and circumstances that they don't like, possible persecution that's taking place. And Paul is telling them, even in the midst of all of this, We need to find what really matters. We need to stand firm in our faith. We need to continue to trust. And then he's going to go into how then should we behave? How how should we be thinking? And then how should that thinking be affecting our behavior? So Philippians chapter two, verse one, here's what he says. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the spirit or any affection or mercy. So he starts off with, with this kind of like if, this if statement. And as I was talking to Pete, he was letting me kind of, or helping me understand that this if can also be translated since. So there's kind of a little bit of this both and between the if and the since. Paul is, is being rhetorical or uh, reflective and questioning in nature. At the same time, he's assuming this since. Like, since this is true in your life, since you have experienced the blessings that come of knowing Christ. And so he wants his, his audience that is reading this letter to be thinking, do I have that? Like, have I experienced those things? Have, have I been able, can I honestly say that I have been provided encouragement and comfort, uh, that I have, have seen that type of love and fellowship or the affection and mercy of God? And if that is true, then guess what? It can't stop with you. It has to keep moving on. Paul is taking these factual realities and making his reader reflect on the benefits of life with Christ. And then asking those recipients to give them out to others as well. It just can't stop with you. You can't receive this and then it just lose momentum with you. In verse two, he says, then complete my joy. So if these things are true that Paul is assuming to be true in the believer's lives, If they're true, then complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit and having one purpose. Notice here, Paul doesn't say complete my joy and church figure out how to get me out of this 
prison, this confinement, this, I, I really would like my freedom. That would be the thing that completes my joy. No, Paul says what? Complete my joy by being united, by being one, by having this sameness about you. That's how you can complete my joy. Parents, I, uh, I'm aware that you have had a lot of family time, let's just call it that, family time, uh, in your homes these last couple of months. And I wonder, in moments of conflict and strife within the walls of your house, what you would trade for harmony, what you would trade for unity. Like some of you right now, dads, moms, you'd be like, I'd give up my car right now. Like I would be driving something that barely runs for the sake of my children just getting along with each other or the sake of us as parents to children getting along, having that type of unity and harmony. We would, we would downsize our house right now just for this. Like that's what we would give. And Paul's the same way. He's like, I would trade my freedom for the sake of the church's community and that, that conflict and those petty arguments not existing so that the church is united and is acting out of the same love, same purpose, same spirit, and same goals for what they're doing within their community. In my family, uh, how should I put this? We are prone to argument. Uh, and not only are we prone to argument, we are also what I guess you could call loud talkers. My wife calls it uh, getting heated during debate. I just call it loud talking. And uh, my parents have raised us as, as their kids to, to think, to research, to investigate, uh, to form opinions, and then to be able to defend those opinions against the opinions of others. And so it's not uncommon while we are all back together in the same household for us to get into some type of, uh, of debate. And uh, while this is happening, you can always find my mom. She's normally not in the room when it's happening. She's normally standing over in the kitchen uh, because my mom is over there and she's basically just praying at the end of this, God, please, please let my family still be one unified, wholesome, like, let us just enjoy each other. At the end of this, can we please, God, be a big, happy family like we were before? That's what Paul is thinking. That's how he, you know, he's like coming at this topic and saying, conflict could separate you, but I don't want it to separate you. I want this conflict and this trial to, to not separate you, but to build you just like my parents dislike uh, any type of conflict that's taking place in their kids' lives or with each other. They, they want that harmony and Paul wants that as well. Any of us, whether it's family, whether we've been on some type of sports team, band, uh, work, a, a team at work that you have to be on, we're familiar with the fact that when trials and conflict enter kind of our reality as this group, you, you don't stay neutral, like you don't stay exactly where you are. That trial can only send you one of two ways. You either let it kind of destroy you and get within the midst of the group, and never be able to move past that trial. And it actually kind of, it tears apart any type of harmony or unity within the group. Or you've been in those families or in those teams and those, those groups of people at work 
that that trial or that adversity is what drives you to better unity. And Paul knows this reality is true within the church at Philippi, and he's urging them on saying, do not let this trial and what's taking place, any type of petty argument, get in the way of accomplishing this oneness that God wants for you. In verse three, Paul goes on to kind of answer the question then, what would this one mind, this, this one spirit, this one love and purpose actually look like in our lives? He says the word, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Instead, there's a destructive quality of self-centeredness that we're all aware of. Uh, A.B. Bruce in his book, The Training of the 12, 12, observed this. The whole aim of satanic policy is to get the self-interest, to get self-interest recognized as the chief end of man. Did you catch that? The whole aim of satanic policy is to get self-interest, the chief end of man. If he can just deceive us into thinking that ourselves and our desires and our goals are greater than anything else, then he's won then he's destroyed, then he's wreak havoc. And, and we can kind of like, I hear people say sometimes, well, in our culture now, in this generation, there's a level of self-interest and self-fulfillment that takes place that wasn't present long ago in my generation. And, and although I will concede that maybe self-interest and pride and those types of things can rise and fall, I mean, we see self-interest go back as far as, as Satan's fall from heaven, as Adam and Eve's fall, and, and being kicked out of the garden. And everything since then goes back to that same root, this self-interest that promotes me above the community, above the purpose. And, uh, and Paul is very aware of that. And so Paul offers this word, instead Instead of living that way, instead of harming the community by your own selfishness, if you do what? If you promote one another and you value one another above your own self, guess what? You can live the way that Paul wants us to live, that God wants us to live as well. And not only can you live that way, but you actually, instead of tearing something down, will edify, you'll build up that community, and you'll also, uh, you'll also unify that community as well. One of my favorite parts of being a student pastor, maybe even my most favorite part, is getting to watch this dynamic play out in a student's lives. When they, they enter the student ministry as a 12 or a 13 year old, and just within a few short years, six years, we now have to get them from a child to what we consider an adult in our society. And I tell parents right up front, I mean, think about this. You, you have a child, someone that has been taken care of their entire lives for the most part, they have been the center of their parents' universe. They've had their food prepared for them. They've had their clothes taken care of. They've had every financial need taken care of by their parents. And so as a 12 or 13 year old, 
not their fault at all. They come into that kind of teenage world thinking, I am the center. And it, it's present, right? I mean, we could jokingly laugh at how present that thought process is within the teenage community. But what I love is watching the growth and maturity take, take place. And I can, I can say that, that probably where that happens the most is on a mission trip, a summer mission trip in San Antonio, these week-long mission trips where we're taking 120 people down to San Antonio to be of one mind, one love, one purpose, one spirit, right? And it's, it's kind of almost, I have like this twisted enjoyment of watching this 13 or 14-year-old that this is their first trip they've ever gone on. And they still are kind of under this impression that everything is revolving around them. And very quickly in this, this tight schedule and this hard work that we're doing, they realize, oh, oh, look at all of these other people. Like all of these other people are not living for themselves. They're living for others. All of these other people aren't putting themselves as the highest value on this trip. They are valuing everybody else and everybody else's needs on the trip. And I just love watching that switch. And when I come home from a mission trip to be able to sit down with a parent that says, I don't know, Mike, like we sent that kid a week ago and they were the center of the universe and now they get something. They, they see life differently. You know what they see? They see the instead. They see the instead of value, valuing yourself as the highest, instead of living in this self-centered way, live to value others. And you know what they learn is they learn that when you value others, it does nothing to your own value. It just promotes theirs. And they, they get to have their eyes opened to that type of instead life and the fulfillment that comes by living the way that God wants us to live. Let me continue in verse four. He says, each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interest of others as well. That the kind of stubborn cynic is sitting here going, well, what, I'm, I'm not allowed to be concerned at all about myself or take care of myself. And that's not what Paul is saying at all, is he? He says what? Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interest. So in living with this one mind, one purpose, one love, one spirit, this, this unity and harmony, not only are you the follower of Christ taking care of your own needs, but you are also being concerned with the needs of others as well. And Hillside, I, I'm just gonna tell you, I mean, we are so encouraged by you and your testimony and, and what you are doing and how this, even just this verse applies. I mean, we, we just kind of weekly hear these updates of, of how our community is taking care of the needs of others. A couple of them, I just, I just wrote them down. I guess you could call them, I don't know, they probably will hate this name, the grocery grabbers. Uh, it's this team of people that when we find out that somebody needs groceries picked up for them, they run to the store, they pick everything up and drop them off. And I've just heard some cool stories out of that of how blessed both the volunteer and the recipient are after being able to share in those moments together. Uh, we have people checking in every week and just kind of 
just want to see how our benevolence fund is doing to make sure that, that they are concerned for others and that we have the ability as a church to meet the needs of our community as they arise. And so they just kind of check in every week, make sure that that's at a healthy level so that we can continue to aid those in need. I, I've heard of a, a youth leader that got people together to make 125 sandwiches to take down a union gospel mission. Just how amazing that is that, that they are taking care of the homeless in a ministry that we have been connected to and supporting for so long. And they're what? They're not just taking care of their own interests and own needs. They're being concerned for others as well. This last week, I, I heard about someone in our church that is actually having livestock butchered. And then once that food reserved for people specifically in need, for families that, that maybe aren't making ends meet. And what a cool little story to be able to think outside of their own needs on it. And I'll just say, I mean, I'm impressed not just by how we as Hillside or, or the churches in our community are handling all this, but even how individuals in America are handling it. And that's what I think Paul is pushing us towards is we need to have that one goal. And how do you achieve that? How do you have that one purpose, that one love, that one mind? How do you have the harmony? You know how? You, you are concerned about others. You value them more than you even at times value yourself. You know how, uh, you know how sometimes there's, there's a verse that you hear and you, you have heard it years ago. And even though you've heard it years ago, it almost has just left this impression in your heart or in your soul and you, you just can't get it out of your mind. I, I remember as a teenager hearing about this story in Matthew 20. And just a little bit of context, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's about a week away from the trial, the crucifixion, and everything that is to follow. And while they're headed to Jerusalem, James and John, their mom comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, when, when this is all kind of said and done, would you mind making sure that my sons are promoted to sit at your right and at your left? These positions that represent power, uh, that represent prestige. And she kind of asked Jesus and Jesus looks at them and says, well, do you think that you can drink from the same cup of what we know to be suffering that I'm going to drink from? And James and John say, oh yeah, yeah, we can, we can do that, Jesus. Like we can drink from that cup with you. And Jesus confirms and says, yes, you actually, you will drink from that cup of suffering. But kind of humorously, I am not even the one that's picking who's at my sides. God, the father is the one doing that. So I can't promise that to you. Well, what happens is in verse 24 of chapter 20, we find out that the other 10 hear about this request. And it says that now when the other 10 heard this, they were angry with the two brothers. See how self-centeredness immediately causes what? Conflict, dissension, dispute. Them being so concerned about their own position just ruin the harmony of the rest of the disciples that quickly. But Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions use their authority over them. This is the verse. But in verse 26, 
Jesus said, it must not be this way among you. I don't care what everybody else is doing with their position and their power and their possessions. Not concerned with that. For you, it must not be this same way. And he goes on to say another instead Just like Paul said, instead, Jesus now says, and instead, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, right there in that last bit, that's that's basically Paul's poem, the verses six through 11 are right there, that Christ emptied himself and didn't come to be served, but came to serve man. And and Jesus says to them, I don't really care how the rest of our world understands possessions and power, privilege. I don't care about that. It must not be that way among you. Hillside, let's just say everything gets better in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months over this next year. Or maybe things get worse. Maybe, maybe it gets harder. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But regardless, what Paul is saying is regardless, it must not be that way among you. Like in these moments, we can't just live self-preservation lives where we're only concerned about our needs or our family or our close community, but always being concerned about the needs of others. That selfishness is what comes in and gives the conflict. And so Hillside, it must not be that way among you. Continue to see, continue to encourage, continue to look out for others' interests and value them just as much as you have found the value that Christ gives to you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these moments together in your truth. May it now inspire us to think the same way that you think and to act the same way that you act on behalf of us. In your name, amen. Hillside. Keep living for the kingdom. We are so encouraged. We love you. We miss you. And we will see you next week.